everybody, Pepper Persley here, and welcome to this episode of Dish with Pepper. I'm so excited to have Cindy Brunson with me here today, because there's so much for us to talk about, and I want to dive right in. Obviously, the Pac-12, um, you're absolutely connected to. You went to a Pac-12 school, you broadcast Pac-12 games, and now I have a dream of going to Stanford, obviously currently a Pac-12 school as well. Um, so, just tell me what's going, uh, going on with the Pac-12. Can we even call it that anymore? Well, we can call it Pac-12 for another couple of seasons until 2024 when USC and UCLA officially join the Big Ten. Uh, here's the situation, Pepper. You know about as much as I do. Just this morning, the Pac-12 and its board of directors announced that they're going to open TV negotiations right away instead of waiting a couple of years when the window is actually up. And I think that's to prove to the remaining schools, the 10 left, particularly University of Washington and University of Oregon, hey, this is the money that's coming down the pike if you stay. That's happening while Arizona, Arizona State, Colorado, and Utah are reportedly talking to the Big 12 about joining that conference and making it a super conference. So there are a lot of moving parts right now. And word on the street is your beloved Stanford may pull out altogether, stop playing football along with Cal, and just become Olympic sport central. So lots to keep an eye on. Yeah, absolutely. That's crazy. Well, then what would there be, like two teams left in the Pac-12, the Pac-2? I know, I know. I think the Pac as we know it, as you've known it your entire life, me as well, would just kind of go away. Or it would merge with something like the Mountain West or the Big Sky, and become the pack whatever after that point. Um, but it, it's tough to see the Conference of Champions hanging on in its current structure right now. Yeah. It's it's tough knowing what's to come, you know, because they already yes. have announced that. It's, it's crazy. Like Yes. And my big concern for you, Pepper, because you want to go to Stanford and any young little hooper like yourself out there listening is how is this going to impact Title IX, right? Because we always use football teams as the bellwether to create opportunities and equity for the female sports on campuses. So if a football program is no longer in play or these college programs are going to create football-centric leagues only, then what does that do to Title IX and opportunity for women down the road? Even though we've celebrated the 50th anniversary of Title IX, now more than ever, we have to stay vigilant to protect it. Yeah, absolutely. And two of the craziest things for me was like, I was just in LA, like at UCLA, mm -hmm. UCLA basketball camp, and I had no idea. Like that this was really hard. <laughs> I thought I was visiting a Pac-12 school, and you know what? Like, never mind. Like that idea. I know. Well, you were technically. Technically, because the seismic, yeah, seismic shift hadn't happened yet. Um, but that is, you know, a lesson learned in the draw of the dollar. You know, the almighty dollar driving this bus for sure, and just the strength of the brands of both USC and UCLA in particular, USC for football with the 11 national championships it's won. That was the crown jewel that really made it very tantalizing for the Big Ten set. They just couldn't pass that up, right? To go from sea to shining sea and have those two big major pieces as a part of its football vision going forward was too big to pass up. Yeah. And it's crazy to think about how, in terms of women's basketball, like the Pac-12, an incredible conference. 
Oh, hello. Gonna, I know. It's going to be so interesting to see, like, UCLA, like, playing Iowa as a conference game. Like, <laughs> I know. And all of the travel that goes along with that, you know, yeah. UCLA against Rutgers, that plane ride is the same as Rutgers to Iceland. And that's kind of distance we're talking about here. So uh, I don't think much. Yeah, right. I don't think much consideration was given to the health and welfare of the student athlete. But again, money is driving this bus. So I think everything else just moves to the back of the bus. Yeah, we'll see. And then obviously I see, I see that uh, mercury jacket you've got on. <laughs> yes. Um, and so everybody hopefully knows about the unfortunate situation with Brittany Griner right now. Mm. Um, and can you just talk about how you've seen that impact the entire organization? Uh, yeah. First of all, thank you to General Manager Jim Pittman and to President and COO Vince Kozar for giving me the opportunity to be play-by-play for the first time with the Mercury full-time. And in doing so, alongside Ann Myers-Drysdale, the Hall of Famer, we have created the first all-female broadcast team in Phoenix Mercury history. And I am very proud to be a part of that. That being said, not having Brittany Griner here with us on U.S. soil is just, it's heartbreaking. Every single day, the excitement that we bring to the job to talk about basketball for a living is tempered because our sister is not here with us. And to see the photos from Russia, to see her in shackles, it's just unbelievably heavy. And it's a burden that every member of the organization carries because we will not stop talking about it. We will not stop fighting for her. We want to lift her and her family and particularly her wife, Sherelle, up to know that they are not alone. We will continue to post on social media. We will continue to write our Congress people to say, let's do something. We have got to do something. First and foremost, Sherelle was on CBS News this morning saying she still hasn't had a make good on the phone call that the U.S. representatives messed up a couple weeks ago. Let's just baby step and get that so they can actually have communication together for the first time and then move to get her home safely. Absolutely. There's, I wish that there was more that single person could try to do to be able to bring her home. But I know, I know we're all trying and we're all trying yes. to in our thoughts. Absolutely. Yes. And it's always top of mind. And, and trust and believe when I tell you, every member of the team feels that weight. They are proud to always speak out, but it's heavy and it's it's hard to get up and give a thousand percent on the floor when a literally a piece of you is not there. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's mm-hmm. definitely going to be challenging and it definitely has been. Yeah. And just a different Mercury question for you. How sure. how have the Mercury's play, how have it, how's it changed after Tina Charles's contract divorce? Ooh, the divorce. Well, here's the situation. Sometimes we experience life uh, through a facet called addition by subtraction, right? Mm-hmm. You look at the aces from a year ago. Everybody was freaking out. Oh, Liz Cambage isn't here. Guess what? Aces were just fine addition by subtraction. I think the Mercury can do the same thing, addition by subtraction, because 
when they had to get minutes and opportunities for Tina Charles, they weren't as fast and they weren't as good at defense. So now Vanessa can incorporate her four guard system. And as a result, everybody can dive at basketballs. They can run the fast break. They can get out and create opportunities for themselves on live ball turnovers, especially Skylar Diggins-Smith and Shea Petty. And so it just creates more offensive opportunities. The downside is you find yourself in a situation like the Mercury found themselves against the Sparks, where okay. Sophie Cunningham is trying to defend Neko Gumake. Not ideal. <laughs> so um, there's give and take there. But I think ultimately, if the three-point shots are falling for the Mercury in the four-guard system, they can make some hay and they can make the playoffs. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah. you make that point. It was clear that Skylar was able to drive and go at it. Um, oh, yeah. Parts. But it was also really tough to see Liz Cambage just basically owning the paint um, when yeah. run offense as well. So it's a little yeah. bit of a give and take there, but I can definitely see the up and the downside to that. Yeah, absolutely. yeah. All right, and then can you talk just a little bit about Coach's all-star comment and Skylar's response? Well, here's the deal. Uh, I love our social media team, but the very sentence before Vanessa said it's not an all-star game without Diana, she praised Skylar for making the all-star team. So if those two sound bites had been put out together, guess what? No issue. <laughs> to Skylar's credit, she stood up for herself and said, wait a minute, I'm going to be a part of this non-all-star game. Um, and then, you know, Vanessa had to readdress it and smooth things over, which she did. And and it's all good now. So um, credit to Skylar for speaking up. But again, if we manage how we put out these messages, we can avoid a lot of missteps along the way yeah absolutely I didn't even know that it's I wonder why they would just cut that out it's I think because it was the most impactful right it's going to get yeah, the most I clicks think... it's going to get the most reaction I can see both sides of it uh but yeah when you're when you're the team and you're looking to promote all the good don't cut off your nose despite your face <laughs> Yeah. All right. And speaking of Skylar, just talk about her play this season. Like she's aggressive and she's scoring oh. basically whenever she wants to. She makes my job so freaking easy. Skylar Diggins-Smith is just wired to win. And, you know, a lot was made about the divorce and Tina chasing a championship because that's the only thing missing from her resume. Well, hello. Skylar's chasing one, too. And she has a dogged determination about her that is palpable. When you're courtside, and you'll experience this when you go to a Mercury game, Pep, you can see it dripping off of her. The want, the desire, the tenacity. And she brings it no matter what is going on around the team, no matter what is happening elsewhere in the world. She has that ferocity for 94 feet long and 50 feet wide. And it has been a joy. I mean, she's up to number four in the WNBA in scoring, leads the team in steals. I, there's just nothing that she cannot do. And she's ready because we don't know when Diana Taurasi is going to retire, right? Mm -hmm. That's just this ambiguous, uh, when I suck, I'll leave. <laughs> you know, that's her statement on the whole situation. So 
Skyler is proving that she's ready to be the face of the franchise moving forward. I think that's pretty cool. And she is leading by example along the way. Absolutely. And again, like watching that Sparks game, like she drove a lot in that first half. Yeah. It went really well. And then they started trying to defend the drive and she was hit. I mean, not all of her three, but like a couple of them I saw she made. So like that. Yeah. 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 And her mid-range game is great. So, yeah, she's a three-level scorer, an elite defender. I just don't think her defense gets talked about enough. Skylar Diggins-Smith is a dog on defense. You, There are so many people in the league who just go, oh, great, she's going to guard me today. I mean, she is that tenacious. Yeah, I mean, she's a dog in general, but definitely. Yeah, yeah. As well. Yeah. Yeah. And then just generally, just give me your predictions for the rest of the Mercury season. Whew. We go as the three-point shot goes. When the three-point shot is falling, because nobody takes more in the league than the Mercury do. And Diana Taurasi leads the entire WNBA in three-point shot attempts. If her make rate moves up to her median level of what she's done throughout her career, the Mercury are going to be fine. Sophie Cunningham's got to hit her threes. Rashonda Gray has got to hit her threes. Megan Gustafson has got to hit her threes. Anybody who is shooting the three-point shot for the Mercury has to connect because it's the only way we can spread the floor and create opportunities for Brianna Turner near the basket and for Skyler and Diamond to Shields to drive the basketball. It's an integral part of the four-guard setup that they're running. So we will go as the three-point shots fall. Yeah, absolutely. All right. And you touched on this a little bit, um, but can you talk about broadcasting with a legend like Ann Maris Drysdale? I just had a <laughs> podcast to talk about Title Nine, which will I, I will ask you about in a bit, but talk sure. about how incredible that is. Uh, you know, it's the story of my career. Blind squirrel finds a nut, for sure. I mean, you know, it's like, oh, hey, you get your d- dream job, something you've been fighting for for the last several years, and you get to work with the Hall of Famer and Myers Drysdale. She knows more about women's basketball than I can hope to learn if I studied every single day for the rest of my life. It is just like working alongside an encyclopedia of all that is great about women's basketball. So she makes my job really easy. All I have to do is stay on top of what's happening in front of us. And, you know, okay, Skylar Diggins-Smith has seven 20-point games or whatever the statistic is. And then she fills in the blanks. So it has been a dream come true. I'm really, really lucky. Yeah, she's incredible. I definitely agree with you on that. Though I haven't broadcasted a game with her. I have been able to talk to her. And the way she's like a storyteller, it's right. Yeah. I told you. I was like, <laughs> you got to have her on, Pam. <laughs> yeah. All right. And I absolutely did uh, not want to let this interview go by without asking you about Title IX and the change that you've seen through women's sports throughout your, throughout your life. I'm super lucky because I was a child of Title IX, right? As I was growing up, I got to play all the sports. I got to sign up for everything, t-ball, softball, volleyball, tennis, basketball, you name it, swimming, whatever it was, I got to compete. And so I can't imagine a world without that. And what I have come to learn as I have gotten older is that Title IX is a great idea and is still an aspiration and that it is not being enforced like we need it to be. 
And so moving forward, I'm all about being vigilant about enforcement and making sure that women still get opportunities at every turn. That's why the thought of this super college conference play, however that looks, scares me to death. Because if college football goes off on its own and creates an entity that is self-supporting, what does that do to the college campuses that have incredible equity because of football? You look at Alabama, you look at Georgia, you look at Clemson. Those schools all have softball teams that have now become a part of the national scene. And it's happened in the last 15 years because the football programs have reaped benefits from the college football playoff. So those kind of things make me very nervous. And then we've also seen what has happened at the highest court in the land. Roe versus Wade getting shot down, which I'm still trying to wrap my mind around. So is something like a Title IX up for grabs as well? Does that go by the wayside? So we, right? So we just have to be vigilant and keep fighting. Absolutely. All right. Thank you. Because so it's much. my job to leave things better for you. Yeah. And so far, I'm falling short, but I'm going to get this right. I promise. <laughs> Thank you, Cindy, so much for your time, your insight. And I mean, I talked about Anne being a storyteller, but you definitely have that quality as well. So thank you so much for your time today, Cindy. Oh, please. Thank you for having me, Pep. Anytime. All right. Thank you.